0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with my co-host, Don Grapham. Don, it's good to see you and hear you. How are you doing? I am doing
1: well. It's good to see you and hear you once again in quarantine season. You and I sitting in different locations. I'm believing that the next time we record, we're going to be in the same room. Wow, that is a bold prediction. This I know. I think we could be, we might still be sitting six feet away from each other, yeah. but I do think there's a chance we could be in the same room at our next recording, but but who really knows where we're sitting here mid-June. For today, we're in separate places, but our, our hearts are connected.
0: That's right. <laughs> hey, just a reminder too, um, here's our belief and why we even do this podcast. When leaders get better, the church gets better. And we've got a special guest here with us, who's a great leader in her own right, Rachel Holvig. Rachel, how are you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, fun to see your face via Zoom
0: <laughs> and hear each other. That's great. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna. Uh, hear from Rachel throughout this podcast, and we're really looking forward to that. Um, There's a reason we've asked her to be a part of this podcast, and it's primarily because today we're talking about transformation. Now, here at Eagle Brook, we have three questions that drive our strategic decisions, and we stole this concept, this way of thinking from Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, and he calls this the hedgehog concept, And these three questions that we ask ourselves drive every strategic decision we make. And the three questions are, what are we best at? What does success look like? And what are we most passionate about? Now, just as a review, we would say that we want to be best at being relevant. We want to reach a changing, ever-changing culture. We want to be relevant to those people who are far from Christ but who might have some interest in exploring Christ. And we're gonna talk about that. And we wanna be relevant to their life, what life looks like for them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, what life looks like for them in their marriages and in their workplaces. We want to be relevant. That's what we wanna be best at. And that's always changing. Don, you often describe when it comes to music, what's your theory on music and how to maintain relevance? Oh, I talk about the eighty percent principle.
1: I mean, that's often what I think too. When you think about eighty percent of the cars driving by in front of your church building, what radio station are they listening to? What kind of music are they listening to? And your music, music should reach those kind of people. What kind of music are they listening to? If you're if you're playing a kind of music, a style of music that just doesn't match, uh, then you're not relevant. So that's why we don't do polka. By the <laughs> way, is that it doesn't reach everybody. And we could talk about why we should do more 80s music, but that'll come up later maybe. So let's just leave it there.
0: don has got Bon Jovi and Aerosmith just playing all day long.
1: 80% of the people do. (laughs) 80% 80 of the people do. That's Anyway, like I said, we'll get to that. Yeah, we
0: got to move on. So we want to be best at relevance. What does success look like? And for us, we feel like success is people who become owners and they love and repeat our vision culture. They can go and... And uh, represent that vision to our community. That's what success looks like when people become owners. But the third question is what's going to drive our conversation is what are we most passionate about? I know this is true of both of you, it's true of me, it's true of our church. We are most passionate about life and spiritual transformation. We just love it when we see a life transformed by the power of Christ. Now, All of our lives have been transformed. Don, that's been true of you. Rachel, it's been true of you. Don, do you remember some of those early days of that initial transformation? I remember it really
1: well. I mean, even though I was in high school, uh, I still remember kind of that experience of learning about the church, about who Christ was, about how that could change my life personally. So uh, my life has been forever changed, so much so that I want to tell everybody else about it as much as possible. Yeah. And, and I know your life has changed. I know Rachel's life has changed, which is why we have her here is she's going to tell her story of transformation. And it's why even we have a baptism that's coming up. It's why we all cry at every baptism because it's this public declaration of a private commitment that somebody has made. And we're reminded again that transformation is right in this person, right in front of us. And then we all get fired up about that every time we see it. So we've seen it in our own lives. We've seen it in other people's lives. It's what we're most passionate
0: about. Yeah, and like like we said, we're gonna hear Rachel's story as we go through this. And Don, we're passionate about transformation and we're gonna break it down for people today because our role as leaders in the church is to figure out ways to move people along this pathway of transformation, to come up with strategies that will encourage people to move along the pathway of transformation. So Don, why don't you tee this up and talk about that first step in the pathway for transformation?
1: Okay, I am ready to go. I love this teaching and I just hit share screen. Can all the podcast people see this? No, uh, this is an audio only
0: podcast. That's right, that's right. It's audio
1: only. Nobody can see this,
0: but the three of us can. But we will include this uh, graphic on our show notes. That's right.
1: It's going to be really good. But if you are uh, keeping score at home, you'll want a piece of paper and you're going to draw one circle uh, on the left side of the piece of paper. And in the middle of that circle, you're going to write the word explorers. Uh, we believe this is the first step in the pathway of transformation. And we believe that these people come to our church every weekend. These people are exploring their faith, They're uh, they maybe were bribed by a friend or a family member. Someone's going to buy them lunch or dinner afterward. Uh, they come you know, with heel marks all the way across the parking lot because somebody dragged them there. Uh, but for some reason, somebody had a reason to show up at church. They're exploring. They're asking questions. Uh, they're not even sure if they buy in any of this. They might even be mad at the church. They had a bad experience in their past somewhere even bitterness. But for some reason, they've showed up on this day. They're an explorer. Now, the cool thing about having Rachel here is that we're going to have like her talk about what that was like for her to walk through these different phases of transformation. So, Rachel, let's just dive in on what it was like to be an explorer. Do you remember uh, coming to Eaglebrook for the first time? Or maybe even what happened right before you came to Eagle Brook? Do you, do you remember the season of being an explorer? What, what was that like?
2: Yeah, it feels like a long time ago now, but yeah, I, I remember it very well. Um, and I do think that it did start even before walking through the doors, uh, you know, just feeling kind of a nudge of a need for change in my own life. Um, and then I got invited to come to church and I think at that point I just was open, um, to something different in my life. Um, and you guys know, but for people listening, just my, my story is rebellious adolescent and kind of drifted far away from God. And so, you know, was making a lot of poor choices and doing things that certainly I'm not proud of um, now, but that led me to this, this phase of my life. And so I just felt like God was moving in me walked in the doors and just kind of remember taking it all in. Like, what, what is this? Um, and not really knowing what to do next, but it was really great. Truthfully walking in the doors, um, knowing enough about myself and no one else needed to know. Mm -hmm. I could just kind of anonymously walk in the doors and it felt safe. And so that was kind of just the beginning of exploring what, what it could look like to maybe take this step in my life and change. So that was, that was the beginning of it all.
1: Yeah. What I, what I love about even that part of your story is that it, it wasn't like this lightning bolt experience. It wasn't this dramatic, like, you know, voice from heaven above got you there. It was just a, an invitation. It was just mm-hmm. this nudging this prompting. And of course yep. we all know that was God at work long before you showed up through the doors of Eagle Brook. But yep. it, and,
2: and it did It took friends, uh, a friend of mine's parents inviting me to come that just opened that door for me to just start exploring.
1: Yeah. I think something else to add about explorers and John, maybe you can chime on this before we move on is a lot of people now, uh, have an experience that we call the nuns, you know, not like Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, where where when you ask people, what religion are you? Are you Catholic? Are you Lutheran? Are you even uh, Evangelical free or Methodist, Presbyterian? People check the box that's on the very bottom. I'm none of the above. And it's not even that they're against God. It's not even that they're uh, opposed to faith. They might even be pro-God. They might even say, I know there's a God out there, but they just have never internalized it. They've never made Christ the center of their life. And I think a lot of people are coming to our church that even have a, a church background, but have kind of given up on it. You know, they would probably check that box
0: none. Is that is that what you've observed too, John, or any other insight on Explorers? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, studies and research that's been done on and a, a fantastic book by James Emery White called The Rise of the Nuns again not Catholic nuns In know mm-hmm. although a Rise of the Nuns book would be a great book I feel like too that. that in US <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: cult-
0: culturally there's just more and more people who are rather indifferent um they're going to be the toughest group to reach in the future because they aren't necessarily pained by anything or looking for anything. Um, And that might even be a whole nother conversation, but I will say, and you, you probably are sick of us talking about this at this point, if you've listened to our podcast, but everything we do, we consider the Explorer, everything we do. I mean, our, our worship services, our marketing, our word choice, the topics we teach on, It's not just for explorers, by the way, it's everything we do isn't just for them, but we are thinking about them in every single thing we do. And I would encourage you, if you're a church leader, to um, anticipate that there is going to be an explorer watching your service online, watching your message online, or joining you in church every single time. Don't miss the opportunity to acknowledge them. Because even if it's one person, that could make all the difference. And it's probably some language around, man, for those who are checking things out or exploring faith in God, we're so glad you're here. We don't expect anything from you. Or it's breaking down the Bible in simple terms and saying, Hey, today we're going to be studying the, the book of first Timothy. That's in the new Testament, the second half of the book. And it's written by this guy, guy named Paul. Now christ Center people know all that, but explore has not first Timothy. What, you know, what are you talking about? So, I would just encourage you, church leaders, to consider that there is a Rachel, and it wasn't Holvig back then, it was Madsen, right? That's right. Yeah. Rachel Madsen coming through your doors who's looking for something. Consider them because it can make all the difference in their pathway to transformation. Don, I'm wondering, should we take it on to the next one here?
1: Yeah, we should. We should. Okay. I, I love that you added that because I think every weekend, I do believe this down to my toes, somebody is walking through the doors that is dragging their heels. You know, that's an explorer, uh, that doesn't know church language and and that somebody prayed for and finally worked up the guts to invite that person to come to church this weekend. And so let's make sure that that person that worked up the courage, prayed for years, this is the weekend that they're going to be there. Let's make sure that we reach them right where they're at, make sure that they feel welcome, use words that they understand and create a comfortable environment for them. So I love that you added that, yep, so critical for explorers that our church churches are reaching those people. But the next step that we're gonna talk about is this step of giving your life to Christ. So if you're you're doing this at home, you're out of a circle, you're now gonna write a cross, just uh, draw a cross just to the right of your circle. And that cross represents the experience that people go through when they give their lives to Christ. And that's our hope and our prayer for every explorer is that eventually they do surrender their life to Christ. I mean, it's that Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. I mean, it talks, the Bible talks about that point of commitment where you surrender your life to Christ. You realize that it's not about you. It's not about your plans. It's about God's plans. And you want to surrender your life to him and allow him to be the Lord of your life and to be the savior of your life. And that's what we're hoping and praying for, for every explorer. Just one last note on my side and then we'll hear how how Rachel has experienced this is, is my belief is if you were to go down to Minneapolis and start asking people, hey, how do you get to heaven? I think they would all answer that question in a pretty similar way. Not all people, lots of people would answer in a very similar way of I need to do more good things than bad things. I've started calling this plus versus minus theology. I think most people have plus versus minus theology that at the end of my life, if I have more pluses than minuses, I'm going to earn heaven. If I have more minuses than pluses, well, let's not talk about that. Because I always have more pluses than somebody else. I mean, I can always find somebody else that I'm better than. So therefore, I'm probably going to heaven because I did a few good deeds and I gave some money here and I recycled my plastic goods. So I've, I've done enough good deeds that I'm going to earn my way to heaven. But we all know that good people don't go to heaven. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. You know, it's not people who do enough good deeds. It's those who confess and surrender their lives to Christ and have Him save them. So that's a nuance that I'd want people to know about. It's not a math equation. Do more good things than bad things. It's more about making sure that we surrender our lives to Christ. And our hope would be anybody listening, if you've never made that commitment, that you would make that commitment. Maybe, Rachel, what about your experience? Do you remember kind of that point of conversion for you and even a season of that or an experience where you surrender. Yeah,
2: yeah it was definitely probably more of a season. <laughs> and, and I think it was kind of just deciding like, okay, I've, I've been here. I kind of understand what's going on and I'm going to take a step. And I think I, you know, made a decision numerous times in that season and not even fully understanding what it meant, but knowing that I wanted to take a step towards following Jesus. And so I just kept doing it, <laughs> whether I was at home um, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus or during a church service where you know the opportunity came up to make a decision to follow Jesus. I just kind of kept doing it thinking like, all right, I'm, I'm going to let this sink in. But one moment that I really remember well, um, in a church service. Um, I was sitting in my seat. I don't remember anything about the service. And so all all your plans are useless. No, uh, I was just sitting in the service and um, don't remember what was being spoken about, what was being sung about. I just kind of remember the feeling of God being with me in that moment. And there was a peace that kind of came over me it wasn't drastic it was just like okay this is this is what i've been looking for and this is where i want to go and where i feel like i'm being led to take my life and it was just this quiet moment where it felt like everything else went away and it was just me and god and and i think that was a big push for me to continue to to move forward with my faith this new faith that i had discovered so yeah.
1: I love, it. I love it. How about you, John? Do you remember anything about even your conversion or about walking through somebody, uh, somebody through a conversion type experience like that?
0: Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I remember in sixth grade, now I was raised as a Christ follower and raised Lutheran. My mom was very dedicated to reminding me of my, my infant baptism. I've now been baptized as an adult, but um, just raised me to, to put my faith in Christ. But in the Lutheran circles, there wasn't ever this conversion moment. And theologically, I think, um, and I, I don't want to speak, you know, above my pay grade here, but theologically, Lutherans and some other denominations don't have that decision moment. They don't often offer that decision mo- moment. O- oftentimes, you're just you're you're gradually moving into a life with Christ, but there isn't that, you know, pray this prayer, raise your hand. But I do remember going to a summer camp in sixth grade and making that decision. And it was a significant moment in my life. I'll never forget it, never forget where I was, never forget what I felt like after, how it changed the trajectory of my life. So a challenge to churches that are listening. um, I would offer people who are exploring faith an opportunity to make this decision. No matter where you fall theologically, no matter how you word it, challenge people to step across that line, to look to the cross of Jesus Christ and to make that decision within their heart. And it look can look different in all kinds of ways. But I've been at churches where they offer it, you know, every single week an opportunity for people, others that once a month, you know, every couple months, whatever that looks like, I would challenge church leaders, no matter where you fall theologically, denominationally, to offer people a chance to make that decision because it's so significant in someone's pathway to transformation. Because once once you make that decision done. Let's let's talk about that next step in the pathway. Where
1: does yeah.
2: that people?
0: Yeah. The
1: next one is that uh again, if you're writing this at home, you're not going to draw a circle to the right of your cross that says new, new in Christ. And this is so exciting. When you get to hang out with someone who has recently committed their lives to Christ, I mean, they're really unapologetic about their faith and about their church. They go to the workplace, they talk to the uh, people, friends in the community, they talk about it at the health club, wherever they are. They're just not afraid to talk about, have you seen this church? It's amazing. Or do you know about God's love? His grace is free. I mean, they have just this, even like Rachel was talking about that, almost that new in Christ, that new, new creation perspective. And it's very contagious to hang out with a person who's new in Christ, asking questions, still making mistakes along the way. and just has this kind of innocence or a uh, new approach to faith. And I just love coming alongside people like that. I think we all do. Uh, it's very energetic for us. And so we don't need to spend a lot of time on this one, but uh, Rachel, do you remember kind of those beginning days when you just put your faith in Christ, just some of the beginning steps you took?
2: Oh, yes. And even just describing like the excitement, uh, I just remember that very well. Um There's this freedom and giddiness, I think, in, in knowing, um, that you're free, right? That, you know, especially with my story where there was such a drastic change of who I was to who I was becoming, uh, it was just very exciting and freeing. Um, but, you know, it definitely still takes a lot of work at that stage where, um, you know, for me personally, uh, I had to change a lot of friends and even, you know, some family that I was hanging out with, you know, that had to look a lot different. And so I could have become very isolated. Um, but thankfully, I had a great church that I was going to and started volunteering every weekend, just so that I had plans every weekend. Truthfully, I'd like to think it was a, you know, self- Sacrifice moment, but it was simply so that I had something to do on a Saturday night. Okay. Um, so serving every week, I uh, got plugged into a small group, and truthfully, that small group was what I needed. Um, I was surrounded by some godly women who really poured into me, knowing where I was at with my journey. Uh, they just spent a lot of time like, whether it was by words or just by actions, showing me what it meant to follow Jesus. Because I think at that time, I didn't really know what it meant. And Don, you know, you were you were around um, the whole time this was happening. I remember talking to you at church, you know, one of the first times I showed up. And then later on, after I had um, made a decision to follow Jesus, I remember talking to you in the lobby and kind of asking you like, what do I do? <laughs> what does it mean to, to follow Jesus? And You pulled out your memory cards, which you're known for, having those in your pocket, and said, you know, just need to absorb God's word and and internalize it. And so, you know, I was able to take that step and and just start pouring into God's word myself. And all those baby steps continue to grow in me. Um, you know, a full follower of Jesus. So just takes time though, and baby steps, really.
1: Yeah, I love that. I I I do remember connecting with you many years ago even in one of your first times there and again just kind of the i think even at the eyes of an explorer the first time we met is that you had not yet made a decision you were just starting to kind of have uh your eyes awakened almost uh to christ and to god's love for you and then we kind of connected a few times through those that beginning season of your life and those were energizing conversations yeah. All the way through. And,
2: well, and you even ended up, um, you and Pastor Bob baptized me um, that next summer. So no that kidding. was very fun. Full circle there. Yeah.
1: Amazing. I love it. Yep. John, anything you want to add or should we keep going? I think we should keep going. It's good. All right. Let's keep going to Friend of Christ because I think Rachel is even talking about how to. she started taking steps that way. And I would say that's true. Is some people kind of start that new in Christ phase. Uh, where they are spending some time just thinking about this, just attending church, almost trying to stay off the radar. Mm-hmm. But there are people like Rachel, and I think a lot of people are like, if I'm in, I'm all in. And let's just get this thing going. I'm going to take this seriously. And so really this third circle is friend of Christ. Sometimes we call it growing in Christ. Either way works. But we're on to the third circle. So we've had explorers, the cross, new in Christ, and now friend of Christ. And, and this is really somebody who's trying to really develop their faith and they're growing in all the right ways. They're getting involved in a small group like Rachel just talked about. Maybe they're starting to even give financially. They're starting to volunteer. They're putting the EBC decal on the back of their car. I mean, these are those important steps in faith that they are taking. And we love when people are, are developing in that way. And so we just like to see people walking through that step. But it's not a place that we want to keep people. And so I'm just going to keep going into this next step because you would draw a line after that circle to the right, uh, straight up and down, and that circle would represent a barrier. It's just like we're talking about people are new in Christ, they become friends of Christ or growing in Christ. But what we found is over a period of time is that most people, maybe all people, hit a barrier at some point where they start to say things like this. These are statements at the barrier is that that's not the song I would have chose. That's not the volume I would have chose. Uh, That's not the topic or the teaching style that I would have chose if you would have asked me. And and I kind of wish there was some deeper teaching. You guys (laughs) ever heard that one? I wish there was deeper teaching. And at the bottom of that, and I've had this conversation a hundred times where somebody pulls me aside and they say statements somewhere in what I just said, or there's not a ministry that meets my need something like that i think i'm ready to move on and maybe even i think eaglebrook has given me all that they can give me and i'm ready for a next chapter and this this little conversation right here is significant in the in the in somebody's development and faith and so we need to handle that conversation really well before we answer how do you talk to the person that's at the barrier rachel i don't even know do you do you remember a time that you've hit the barrier or john maybe even do you guys remember either hitting the barrier or having a barrier conversation with somebody.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, even to go back to that friend, um, friend zone, I don't think that works. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I think that you is a time for me where all of those things that you start to learn become very personalized where it's like, okay, this is more than just reading the scripture. This is my relationship with Jesus and that happens. And then then you can definitely hit a barrier where you you understand um what it means to follow Jesus. You're doing those things. And that's all been very exciting. And then you kind of want this next challenge. And so you can, you know, I think I definitely had a moment hitting that barrier. And I, I think sometimes we can keep hitting that barrier um at different phases in life where we just are wanting more. Um, And, you know, I think where we go with this is you hit that, that point and it's still about you, um, when you're growing in your relationship with Jesus initially and beginning to understand it, it's a lot about like, how do I do this? Uh, what does it look like for me to have a relationship with Jesus? And then we can stay there and be like, what, what else do I need? Um, for my own faith, for my own, you know, growth. And I I think we can get stuck there. I -hmm. definitely, I don't know if if I felt like I got stuck there, but I felt like I can, I can drift there even from time to time.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I, you know, the people hit it initially, but we're all tempted to draw back to this in front of the barrier and Mm -hmm. make more about us. And that, that is a key uh, aspect of moving across this barrier. I don't want to get there yet, but it is moving from that, that selfish thinking to selfless thinking. And let's be honest, sometimes Eagle Brook isn't enough for people. So we're not talking about us as a church. We're talking about spiritual transformation, the pathway of transformation. So whether it's us, and maybe sometimes we aren't enough for people, we aren't offering the ministry that they're passionate about. We aren't, you know, exegetically moving through, you know, Leviticus and they really want to do that. And so We're we're totally okay with that. Um, well, we're not okay with it. We want people to stay, but you know what I mean. We're we're okay with it. We need to go find somewhere else. But what really saddens me is that when people work the plan, and Don, you mentioned this, but just to just to hit on this again, so people make a decision. We've got some plans and strategic uh um some strategies for those people to move them in those first few weeks of faith, first 12 weeks of faith. We've got a 12-week New Believers Guide, and then we start saying things like, now it's time to join a group, it's time to start serving, it's time to start giving, it's making sure you attend or, or join us regularly online. And people work this plan, and Don, you and I have chatted about this before. I don't think this is based on necessarily um, stats, but just our own anecdotal evidence. This plan lasts about three years. Mm-hmm. Say it's about a three-year cycle. Yeah, And then you've worked the plan, you've joined a group, you serve, you show up. And then you start saying, Oh, interesting. I've heard that story before. Oh, I, yeah. That, that teaching. Yeah. I've kind of heard a different version of that before. And then that's when people start getting antsy and thinking, Oh, do I need to go somewhere else? (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not feeding me anymore. I mean, that story or that, um, that teaching the first time was, just mind blowing. And as Rachel described, I mean, you're giddy and you're feeling free. And now the second or third time you're looking around like boring (laughs) and, and you hit this barrier. And so Don, I'm, I'm really curious. I think people are curious. How do people, how do we help people get across this barrier?
1: Yeah. Well, you guys have said all the right things because the barrier is significant. I think all people hit it. I do think three years is just an anecdotal kind of, I think I've experienced a lot of what this church and maybe any church for that matter kind of meets my needs. And now I'm ready. I'm getting antsy. But the number one thing that gets somebody through to that fourth circle, which would be on the right side of that, that line you just drew, is becoming a Christ-centered person. And I would say that the number one attribute of a Christ-centered person is that they are always focused on the explorer and then you would draw an arrow from the Christ-centered person all the way back to the explorer, that it's that Luke 15 kind of mindset, that chapter that's about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and then that lost son. I mean, that is the heart of Christ, is always about the lost. And even that chapter is all about something of value is lost. There was an all-out search, and then what was lost is found, and then there's this party, there's this celebration. And that's exactly why we're most passionate about transformation is because it's at the very heart of who Christ was and what he was looking for was to reach the lost. And I think we as a church should reach the lost. So now here's how someone gets through the barrier is that they align with that and they realize I want to be a part of something that's going to reach the lost. It's not about me. That's a tough statement. For people to say, maybe it's not about my volume choice. <laughs> maybe it's not about the song choice that I have. Maybe it's not about the teaching style that I would say is most important to me. But man, if it's what's gonna reach my neighbor, if it's what's gonna reach my colleague or my son or my daughter, then sign me up because I wanna be a part of a Luke 15 mission oriented church reaching lost people over and over again. And the great news is that we get to see this at Eagle Brook all the time. Thousands of people come to Christ, just like you talked about in the beginning, John, because it's a church that's focused on explorers, hoping that all people will grow. And by the way, one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to invite a lost person, have them sit in the seat next to you, and then they start asking you hard questions about your faith, and you have to talk to them about how you're growing and developing, and then you're going to grow in your faith. Because if I just give you a textbook to read about systematic theology, you won't even read it, but if your friend's asking you questions about systematic theology, now you're gonna read it because you care about those things. So growing by reaching is one of the best ways that we can become Christ-centered people. And so uh, the number one attribute of a Christ-centered person is that desire to reach lost people, but along with that are the other five values that we talk about. I mean, I would say when following Jesus, we're also helping others to follow Jesus spending time with God, like we've already talked about, connecting in community, which Rachel talked about with her group, and then living generously and serving others. I mean, those are the five values. I got those last two out of order. Serving others, living generously. They all, they're all they all the same, right? Five values. Uh, that's how we want people to live. That's what Christ-centered living looks like. However... Now, the difference between a Christ-centered person and a friend of Christ, it looks very similar because they're coming to church and they're actually both doing all those things. If a a friend of Christ is working the plan. But here's the last difference, and then I'll let you guys chime in. Here's here's the difference is a friend of Christ serves because the pastor told them that we need help in the kids area. A Christ-centered person serves because they want to make a difference in the generation that's coming forward because God changed their life. Mm -hmm. A friend of Christ is giving financially because they feel obligated to give 10% or some portion of their money. But a Christ-centered person realizes, I don't even believe I get to keep 90%. I mean, the fact that I only give 10% is like a low bar. I mean, I want to be a part of building this mission to reach as many people as possible. Uh, A person that joins a small group as a friend of Christ, like Rachel, was because she needs to be developed and cared for. But a Christ-centered person joins a small group because they want to care for others. And they want to develop others and they want to pray for others. So they're both in doing some of the same exercises. So it can be hard to see uh, the difference, but the difference is in the spirit or in the motivation of why people do those things. It's not about them anymore, it's about others. And that's a game changer. It's a game changer. When somebody realizes it's not about me, it's about others, especially the lost, I'm going to change my focus and I'm going to become a selfless, Christ centered person. John, what do you
0: think? Oh, you're preaching. I love it. I don't, I don't have much to add. I want to hear Rachel's perspective because now Rachel, you know, we've been talking 10, 15 years in the past. Now you're a mom of four kids. You've been married for a while. I don't know how long, 12 years, 13 years. Um, something like that. (laughs) Uh, I know because you've shared a lot of these. You've invited several family members and friends over the years. Now you work at Eaglebrook Church. I don't even know if we said that at the beginning. You are a staff member here, um, but you're a high owner of the mission. What does this look like for you in your life now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think going back to kind of what you were talking about, Don, um, you, you get to that barrier and you start thinking, like, oh, that's not the song I would have picked. And, you know, something I think I've experienced a lot um not only on staff but even just attending is that we can start to have our preferences and i think the thing that's always helped me is to remember that someone always has the opposite preference and you know if 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 we do shift our minds to caring about new people that are walking in the door and people that haven't yet developed a relationship with jesus then in some ways preferences we we want a wide variety of them, and so to just stick with our own means that we're limiting you know, the connections that we can have with people that are exploring faith. and so um, that that's been really big for me. I think, you know being Christ-centered means a lot of things. you know, like you said, being a mom, um, man, my focus can't just be myself, and I think if you if you are a parent. Listening, you know that your life can sometimes feel like it revolves around your children, and you're caring for them and doing a lot of things um, selflessly. And you can even just apply that to to your faith in this process. Where, man, when you become someone that really is following after Jesus, it doesn't. It's not about you. It's it's about the people that you're coming alongside um, and caring for, and you know, I think sometimes on staff, even we don't get to interact enough with those people. Um, and I think it's really important to be reminded of that. And for me personally, the more that I hear stories about transformation or talk to people, my mother-in-law is on the, the prayer team and I love getting to hear the stories that she has of connecting with people, um, who need prayer. And those are the things that fill me up sometimes even more than, than the message is, is hearing about people connecting with Jesus. And that's, that, that's inspiring to me. And I think what it means to um, kind of just shift the focus um, in our walk, that doesn't mean that I still don't have a lot of work to do as well. I think, you know, we can get stuck there because we think that we you know, still need stuff, right? Because we, you know, this is a lifelong process of learning to be more like Jesus. And I think the fact that we still need stuff doesn't mean that it needs to be about us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times we grow most when we're helping other people grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, same, same with parenting. Going back to that analogy, I think a lot of times I learn the most about myself and how I can get better through the eyes of my kids. And so if we can connect those. Um those dots we continue to grow.
0: That's good. You grow most when you're helping other people. That's that's what it's about in the Christ-centered, Christ-centered part of transformation. We want everyone to get there. So if you're someone who's listening and and maybe you attend Eagle Brook or a different church, um, do some self-reflection. Think about maybe why you felt a little stuck, maybe why you feel a little bored in your faith, why you feel a little um, just stagnant think about mate, you know, and again, we all we all struggle with this. I think we're all admitting. we sometimes drift back into this realm too, but ask yourself, is it become a little too much about you and your preferences? And so I would challenge you, I'm challenging myself, all all of us listening. go invite someone to join you online, go invite someone when we open up and regather again, uh, to join you in person because it does change your perspective significantly when you have that person who's exploring yeah. sitting next to you or watching with you. Suddenly, it becomes very real. It puts skin on the game for this, and um, yeah, so that that's a personal challenge for all of us. But Don, any final thoughts here before we wrap things up? Yeah, just a couple things to
1: maybe bring us down the home stretch is that uh, you know becoming a Christ-centered person is a is an act of sacrifice. I mean, we've talked about even this idea of moving from selfish, and really, you think about an explorer is often looking at it for what's in it for me a lot of time a person who gives their life to Christ kind of does it because they want heaven. You know, I want blessing. And you know what? That's, that's okay. That's kind of, we are in need. We are in need of a savior. So it comes out of a selfish place, but when you become Christ centered, you're selfless. less. And if you were to get extra credit on your, your scorecard at home, if you're drawing this out, you have explorers across a circle with new, a circle with friend, and then you have the barrier and then you have Christ centered, You could put another line over that barrier between friend of Christ and Christ-centered. And we call that the second cross, the cross of sacrifice. The first cross is the cross of salvation. The second cross is the cross of sacrifice because it's not about us. And that's the role, that's how Jesus role modeled it for us is a total sacrificial life. And so if we wanna be like him, we have to sacrifice ourselves, sometimes our preferences for the sake of being a part of the mission. And so the question I often get when I do this teaching is how do I help somebody when they're at this barrier? And so I'll just rattle these through four really quick suggestions on how you can help somebody move through the barrier. If you're having that conversation with somebody else, they're telling you, I think I'm done here. You know, I think I've burned out. I'm stagnant. Uh, I just uh, am looking for something new. Number one, point to the larger mission, Luke 15. Acts 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Acts 1-8, uh, you'll be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The larger mission is that it is, a, it is a part of something bigger. Number two, help them to choose people over preferences. It's that Galatians 2:20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loves me and gave himself up for me. That's our call is to sacrifice ourselves. So choose people over preferences, because John, my preference is that we start every service the same way. Yes. you made that clear. Bon Jovi, because everybody would come, yeah. but <laughs> nobody listens to me. So <laughs> I have to give up my preferences for the sake of people. Like Rachel said, sometimes people Rachel, think otherwise. I do still don't I understand that. Do you see huh? what I
0: have to deal with, Rachel? Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. <Yeah>. I'm sorry. <laughs>
1: So anyways, one day you'll listen to me. Uh, Number three, ask questions about the purpose of the church. I think this is always a a striking question for somebody who's kind of struggling. Like, why is the church even here in the first place? And if the questions are all about, well, I want to be fed. I want to be connected. I want somebody to care for me. Well, you kind of know where they're sitting in the phase of of transformation. And then you can gently nudge them, like maybe be a part of something other than just for yourself, but about your neighbors and your friends and your family members so that they could reach Christ. Ask questions about the purpose of the church. Number four, teach them a tool like this. I have used this tool a ton of times at Caribou Coffee using different coffee cups or salt shakers. I've drawn it it on board, you know, whiteboards wherever I can. I even uh, taught my mom this, who's an 80-year-old woman who's kind of struggled to find where her place is in the church and I used apples and bananas across across her table. So <laughs> I've used all sorts of things to help kind of visualize this. It's so helpful to remind people like maybe we've drifted back on the other side of that barrier and maybe you need to remember it's not about you, it's about the lost person. I want to be a part of that. I want to give my money to that. I want to give my time to that. I want to give my energy to that because that's what we've been called to do. And so I just to bring it to a close, I would hope all of us can be aware of our tendency to pull back to the friend of Christ on the other side of the barrier. And to be reminded, it's not about us. It's about a bigger mission that we all want to be a part of giving our lives, our energy and our resources towards. So whatever we can do to do that personally, and then to help other
0: people do that is a win. Great. Hey, Rachel, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your story too, and how God's really worked in your life over the last several years. And um, Don, great wisdom as always. But Rage, thanks for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Um, hey, that's all we got for this episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. But do us a favor will you subscribe to it um, so you get notification when it does come to Apple Podcasts or, or Google or Spotify? And uh, also leave a review, send us a note, let, it, let us know your thoughts. We want to hear because we're all in this together. When leaders get better, the church gets better. And our hope is no matter how or where you lead in the church that you will continue to grow in your abilities so that your church will reach more people for Christ. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you for the next episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast.